Hello friends and welcome back to Cross Pollination with me, your host, Chetna Pai. In each episode of this podcast, I'm in conversation with two artists from the III's network about the work they're currently doing, how they got here, what they'd like to do next, and everything in between. If you're new here and you're wondering what III even is, it's the Instrument Inventors Initiative, an artist-run community platform supporting new, interdisciplinary practices linking performance, technology, and the human senses based in The Hague. This is the last episode of Season 2, and my guests are Jeroen Alexander-Meyer, who won the III Residency Award this year and who is currently doing a residency at III, and Edwin van der Heide, who will be mentioning Jeroen through his residency. We talk mostly about the idea of attention and the ways in which we can engage with, give away, and pay attention to our attention. If you listen through the episode, you will also find out more about both of their current projects, works that they think play with your attention in interesting ways, and what the media art scene was like in the Netherlands in the late 80s. Jeroen Alexander-Meyer is an interdisciplinary light and sound artist who navigates psychology, philosophy, and cognitive science to create interactive experiences that help us become aware of the mysterious properties of our attention. He achieves this by composing immersive multisensory installations that focus deeply on perceptual experience, creating a profound sense of how our inner realms intimately influence our outer worlds. Edwin van der Heide is an artist, composer, and researcher in the field of sound, space, and interaction. He extends musical composition and musical language into spatial, interactive, and interdisciplinary directions. His work comprises installations, performances, and environments. The audience is located in the middle of the work and challenged to actively explore and interact with the artwork. Besides running his own studio, he is a part-time lecturer and researcher at Leiden University, involved in both the Leiden Institute for Advanced Computer Science, including the Media Technology Program, and the Academy for Creative and Performing Arts. If you are near The Hague as you listen to this, then you have the exciting chance to see the work that Jeroen is developing in the flesh on Saturday the 26th of November at the III Workspace. This installation is part of a larger event called Flipchart Number no. 6, Metamotion, and you can find more information about it in the podcast description. Make sure you're there, and now let's get into the episode. Hi, Rune and Edwin. Thank you so much for joining me here in the studio today. It's really nice to have an episode again where both people are physically here. Our last two episodes both had one person on Zoom, which was a new experience. And it was nice to have, still be able to have the conversation, but it's always nicest when everyone is together. In the last season, we also had a podcast with a newer artist and an artist with more experience and we thought that that was a really nice format so we wanted to try it again with both of you also since you're working together but but to start uh, I wanted to ask you Jeroen could you maybe describe the current project you're working on for our listeners so they can put themselves in it as they listen to the rest of this podcast I just saw it and it's huge so keep that in mind as he describes it. sure sure yeah I'll give it a try uh, as best I can with uh, with words of course <laughs> I made the work to kind of yeah erase the need for words but the work comes from um, a personal journey uh, trying to understand the importance of attention and what the nature of attention really is because I feel there's a 
perhaps a superficial understanding in society of what attention really really means for uh, for human life. So when you enter the work, first you're you're guided in like almost as though it's a, a ritual and um, when you're guided in you enter a completely dark space where you see very little and the the room is, is completely filled with a subtle haze, a mist, and you're guided towards a seat in the center of this installation where you, uh, you're asked to sit down. And before the installation starts, there will be a ritual guide who introduces the work with only a few words. And what the guide says is essentially this, please take a comfortable seat with a straight back and try to focus on your breathing. As you become more present in this space, I will leave you with just one question. Since this work is actually less about the light and the sound and the vibrations which you will experience, but more about your attention. So my question is, where is your attention now? And after the, the guide has spoken these words, he leaves or she leaves, and then the ritual starts by um, yeah, sort of training almost of making people very explicitly aware of the movement of their attention. So there's a 360 degree array of, of light and sound that can be manipulated in many different ways. And it starts just with a light and the light moves around you in a circle and your objective is to just be present with where is my attention now? Just asking yourself that question, you know, like observing where is my attention now? Then the, the light, the light uh, fades out and then the same thing happens but only with sound. So a different sense is now triggered and you have to pay attention to this, this sensorial stimuli moving around you. Then light and sound are combined. Then they are combined but they are desynchronized. So one moves in the other direction and the other moves in, in the, another direction. And constantly, you know, the objective of, of this work is, is for you to, to pay attention of, to where, is, where my attention is. And slowly the composition becomes more and more complex over mm -hmm. time. And the task of paying attention to your own attention becomes more and more difficult. And uh, in a way, simulating the, the present experience of digital existence and, and smartphones in our pockets and, you know, distraction being ever present and... and uh, <laughs> ubiquitous, I would say. I hope to kind of show people how, how easy it is to lose our attention, but also how interesting it is to actually be aware of, of, that, of, of losing your attention and, and then seeing where it goes or where it doesn't go and seeing how much control you, we have or, or don't have over, over our attention. And ultimately the, the composition ends and people are free to, to do as they, as they please and they go out into the world hopefully with a, a, an awakened attention. This sounds so terrifying to me. Like it's something. It's like I know that I would be so bad at this. I would get constantly distracted just in the thinking about my own attention, and mm. then I would get into a whole separate thing about. But is this my attention, or is this something else? And that get get fully distracted. Mm -hmm. But uh, I also think it's one of those things where you have to remove a little bit of this judgment of not having a high attention span or so, and just go into it and be a bit curious about it, which is be difficult initially but it would be an interesting 
thing. Yeah, true. But like, even if you find it difficult, or even if you're, uh, you know, if you're having a hard time, I think even that can be a very, you know, a learning experience or a valuable experience. Because just realizing the, the fact that our that our attention can be super difficult to control, yeah. and that, I think that's also what I personally had. Like, I've grown up with ADD, so I've always had trouble focusing my attention. And uh, maybe we'll get into get, get into that later, but. You know, through my say life story, I've I've learned to be more aware of that and have a, a little bit more control over it, and I've seen the the enormous difference it makes mm. in a life for you to be less or more aware over where your attention is. Yeah, I will try and pay attention now to this where my attention is. A good point. Edwin, how are you doing today? Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been working on recently? No, I've been working on uh, something I didn't expect I would be working on. Oh, it's always fun. <laughs> uh, now, I got an invitation from an organization or a festival called, and I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but let's say Espacios Resonantes. So uh, the festival name is Resonating Spaces. It will take place this month in Santiago in Chile. And I got a funny request. They asked me, Edwin, uh, do you have a video of your work, The Speed of Sound? No, of course I don't have a video of my work. Of <laughs> yeah, in, in that, uh, with a lot of my installations, uh, and I think Jeroen can probably uh, confirm that as well, with, with his work, it's super, super difficult to document it or to, to convey the experience uh, by, let's say, recorded material, audio recordings video recordings and and but here of course it was was interesting because it's a festival with a very particular focus a focus on actually really using the acoustic properties of certain spaces mm. as part of the work and nevertheless they asked me do you have a video <laughs> 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 yeah it means and it's a work you really have to yeah you have to be inside your and by being inside you're also part of the work it's a work that i so they asked me a video of a work that i realized in berlin in a very large uh, water reservoir, a water reservoir that consists of four rings around each mm. other with, with brick walls in between, brick ceilings, so completely built out of bricks. And the, the circumference of the outer ring is 100 meters. So it's large. But also I currently am having two interns, and one of my interns had really specifically said, I'm very interested in working with 3D. Mm. Okay, well, yeah, 3D, yes. Why not? <laughs> um, and I thought, okay, but this could be actually a very interesting match. And the, what we have been working on, I, I, I had a lot of it's an installation from 2007, but I made a lot of recordings uh, and multi-channel recordings in the space. So I actually had really good audio material. Also, what I found interesting is that the festival said we want to show a video, but we want to show it using a surround uh, speaker set. Mm. So I thought, okay, well, but there's a little bit more to get <laughs> than, let's say, a video uh, on YouTube. And so we have been experimenting uh, and working very, very hard for the last, uh, well, in a way, two months on seeing if it would be possible to to create something. I had. Only a couple of photos. Mm. Uh, and what we've been working on is really trying to visually get an impression of the space. And there the animations do work because you can really travel through the space and, and yeah, make or follow certain trajectories. And it does help. The 3D animation is not all about being realistic. 
that would also be super boring. Doesn't <laughs> doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, say the main part of the of the, this video will be the the surround audio of the work, but yeah, the video really helps you to start to get a bit of understanding of the space. And in that sense, I actually like it that it's a very, let's say, minimal 3D animation as opposed to a video that is shot in the space itself. Mm. Yeah, so again, uh, reducing it and not, not giving you everything um, actually helps. And so what, what, what happens in the video, I use the couple of photos that I have. So now and then you see the photo. And then from there, the animation goes on and you make a trip in the animation and you arrive at the next photo. And from there, you again have a trip mm. <laughs> through the, the storage and you, you get to the next photo. So it's, it's interesting because it's something that I would never have done, <laughs> never have thought of if I would not have gotten this invitation. And also, for, I mean, and for me, it's very important in this case, it's, it's a context that makes sense. Yeah? So it's a festival that I'm happy to contribute to. And it's not random uh, a random request saying well from this work do you have a video i would have i would have said no <laughs> but in this case i thought hmm maybe i can make something yeah I, I know you just said that these things are so hard to capture but could you tell us a bit about what the original project was like in that space or what was what happened what was the sound like yeah so i at first i was asked to do a site visit to really see the space, experience space, hear the space, smell the space. <laughs> and so what I noticed, and was very interesting, so you have these four rings, as I told you about, and these rings are very strange because they are interrupted by a wall. Mm -hmm. So there is a wall in the ring. In every ring there's a wall, but there's an opening in that that is approximately as large as a, as a door. And I stood there, and I was speaking in one direction, and what... What's very special to me is that I heard the sound come back from the other mm. side uh, with a substantial delay. So really, yeah, I kind of echo, but it was not an echo because it always went forward. Yeah. <laughs> and the echo has to reflect and come back. Here it also comes back, but, it, uh, but simply because of the yeah. circular shape. And the speech was still understandable, which I found very strange because the reverb of the space is very long. Yeah, So the reverb is at least 10, 12 seconds. It's very, very long. But because of the, the, in a way, being a, a line, a corridor that is bent, the sound stays together somehow and re remains understandable. Uh, so I had that observation, and then I thought, ah, but what would happen if I would remove that wall? Mm. Yeah, uh, of course, I did not ask the organization to <laughs> remove the four walls and the four rings, uh, but I thought, okay, but then I can place a, speak a, a microphone on one side of the wall and a speaker of, on the other side of the wall, uh, and like that, I can kind of, at least in one direction, in a very reduced way, but nevertheless not untrue, I can make it kind of uh, disappear. Yeah? But what then immediately starts to happen is that you can, you start to amplify the acoustics in a way because you, you feed the signal back in the space, mm. pick it up, feed it back, pick it up, feed it back, meaning you really start to make the space resonate. And from there I started to think, what would I need what is the minimum that I need to make an interesting work? Yeah. Uh, so with the approach to, in a way, play with the acoustics of the space, do think about what transformations can I do, uh, but not thinking about what sounds am I going to play in the space. 
And so for rings, for microphones, for speakers, and the first next thing would be to think about, okay, I can uh, change, I can interconnect the rings with each other and they can change the interconnections as part of a time-based mm. score, but a time-based score of how things change. Yeah? Uh, so it, it, it is really a sounding work. Uh, it's sounding because when you start to feed the sound back into the space, it starts to oscillate, but these oscillations, they, they change in, in frequency. Uh, and at the end, I added two more forms of manipulation. I added uh, extra delay that I could use or not and choose how long it would be. So to, in a sense, stretch the length mm. of the corridors even more. And I added a possible frequency shift, meaning that in the re-entering, for example, sounds would go up or down, but then I would play around and, and make one ring go up while the other would go down and another again, one again up and another down. Um, so the piece is, it's a, it's a score of changing settings. Yeah. So mm. meaning changing transformation, changing behavior of the space and that repeats, but although the settings repeat, the sound never repeats because it's fully dependent on what happens in the space itself. And the people inside the space are fully part of it yeah? because their sounds yeah. that they produce are also becoming part of the work. I think it, that's really interesting. I'm trying to imagine it, but also that's hard. And I was also thinking it would be so interesting to be in that space, in that project with the mindset of trying to think about where your attention is. There's <laughs> also so much movement. True, true. And you're yeah. contributing to it and then <laughs> coming back. In yeah. it. It's always very difficult to locate sound in round spaces. And so coming back to that, Jeroen, how did you get started with this project? Or why did you want to focus on attention so much? Well, so as I said earlier, I, I, I've grown up with ADD. And a better name for I mean, the, the abbreviation stands for Attention Deficit Disorder, for people who don't know. I mean, people call it a disorder. It's just a, a way of, of being, I, I would say. But another way to, to explain what it is, is a search for stimulation disorder. And it essentially means that you know, you're always searching for something to stimulate your mind. And I've been doing this for, you know, the, you know, my entire life, basically. But what I found so curious is that I never realized it until I was uh, 24 and did my first meditation course. So it took me 24 years to, to realize the nature of my own mind, which I think is such a fascinating thing that that's even possible. And it kind of woke me to the fact that it's so much easier to to perceive the world around you and, and especially the people around you, but it's so hard to perceive ourselves and, and the way we uh, we operate and our, our mind works. I mean, the interesting thing about meditation is it's all about looking within. It's all about perceiving your own perception. It's all about attending to your own attention. It's, it's a self-reflexive, self-referential thing. But that's also what makes it uh, paradoxically difficult. You know, the way I explain it is like you're using your attention to observe your own attention. And, and just like we can't smell our nose or taste our tongue or see our eyes, like when, if you want to perceive the thing you, you use to perceive it, you need to form this uh, sort of an infinite feedback loop and constantly reorient yourself to, to what you're trying to perceive. So I compare becoming aware of your own attention like a, a snake chasing its own tail and mm. you know constantly slithering away from itself. And there's this this magical moment that, that can happen, I think, during meditation is when you finally catch your own tail <laughs> and you become very, very present and aware of how your mind is working. 
And I mean, this is the seed, I guess, of, of the work. And that happened exactly before I started my education at the Art Academy in, uh, in The Hague, the Royal Academy of Art. And I've carried the seed with me throughout the four years of the bachelor. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, of course, you're mostly learning skills. So you're just mm -hmm. working with techniques and technologies that you haven't used before. And it's, it's mostly about experimentation. But every single year, the topic of meditation and of, of the mind, it, it stayed with me. And especially in the third year when we started writing our thesis, that's when I, I, I decided really to delve into the topic and start reading also the science about it and uh, what philosophy said and what religion says and all these different perspectives on, the, on you know, theories of mind. And I've come to like weave those together for my own perspective on it. And what I've come to conclude is that uh, attention is the, the most fundamental tool a human being wields, I, I, I believe. And attention is a, is a way to, to guide human energy through space and time. So where we focus our attention, that is where our energy flows, mm. literally. And, and as our attention becomes more and more distracted or becomes less authentic, meaning coming from outside influence instead of from inside you know, influence, being a, a more a master of your attention or being a slave of it, the more that happens, the more you become distracted, the less you can, you're able to focus your energy on things that you want to realize in life. So I think on a societal level, we're, we're seeing a massive you know, industrial scale of distraction, literally just distracting our minds. And they call it engagement, right? <laughs> All the social media platforms and everyone has seen uh, the documentaries and read the articles about how, how they do it and how they manipulate our minds uh, to to pay our attention to these social media platforms, for example. But I feel like nobody's really talking about what attention is in the first place. So why is it so important? You know, and that's a question I would like to raise through my work and through my writing, because I believe it's, it's so much more fundamental than we, than we give it credit for. It's really something we kind of take for granted almost. Like it's the next step that's the yeah, <laughs> thing right. everyone focuses on. Not yeah, you're right. The <laughs> fact of the attention itself. And, and it has to do with attention being a uh, like a translucent phenomenon. It's something we look through yeah. and not at. You know, it's like looking through a, a, the, the lens of a camera. You don't see the lens. You see the contents of the lens. And when we, when we peer through our own attention, we're, we're perceiving the world. I'm paying attention to you now and I'm seeing you but I'm not seeing my attention itself. What prompted you to do the meditation course in the first place, if the meditation course showed you this? Um, so what prompted me to do it is because my mind was becoming so incredibly distracted by, by modern technology that I was losing all, I would say not all, but most of the control over, over what I was paying attention to. And this was so drastic, it actually resulted in me going through a a depression and I think you know realizing this you, know, you don't know what you have until it's gone really motivated me to do something about it and that's why I decided to do my first meditation course in India yeah was the rest of your trip also helpful with like getting out of the whole space and spending some time in a different thing entirely for sure yeah I mean of course traveling always helps you to get out of your your patterns yeah and your habits but doing this this one course in India has, has sparked my interest. And after that, I've, I've done multiple courses over the four years. I think I've done like six or seven 10-day uh, meditation courses mm. where 
you, you get the chance to go very deep and, you, and uh, for me the value is, is enormous you know it, it changed my life literally Edwin do you have something like this that really changed your life or impacted your work or inspired something ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's so similar but I think one of the most imp important things for me to learn and also in relation to my work uh, and coming from music yeah so uh, time time is crucial in music yeah that's obvious uh, and and space is let's say something that we always need in music and without space we cannot make music we cannot play together it's a requirement we and we need a shared space and let's say as as performers an audience but that you can really position sound in space and uh, and that of course we we somehow know that time and space are related but that thereby you can make a jump and say okay but i'm going to primarily work with sound in space and that creates time instead of sound in time and that creating space and to invert that is i think one of the, the most important things for me to to really see and to to understand and the implications of course that it also has because that all of a sudden changes the audience from being uh, let's say passive we can definitely speak about the active part of <laughs> attention in the audience but yeah not supposed to to necessarily play an active role and at the moment space becomes part of it of course then it's about the audience in space it's about the body in space and it also means that uh, yeah, and we were already speaking about the different senses that immediately actually even if you only work with sound automatically the, the whole work becomes multisensory because it is about your body, it is about your body in space, it's about your being in space. And these things, of course, are normally, especially with, let's say, a seated audience in the concert mm. hall, you try to, to reduce these aspects and maybe thereby to amplify the hearing. But, yeah, everything has its pluses and minuses, and I think also the whole thing relates very much to the, the, the attention discussion. And yeah, it's all about what do you get, what do you lose uh, when yeah you take certain perspectives, and are you the one making the choices? Are the choices being made for you? And how does that relate to each other? Or which choices are being made for you, and which choices do you have to make yourself? It's it's interesting because in the previous episode of this podcast, we also interviewed Rafaela Andrade. She's also a workspace member at II, and she developed the Knurl, the prototype version. So it's like a 3D printed cello based instrument that has a computer inside it. And then one of her projects is called This Isn't Solo, where the audience could come in and they had an app and at certain points they could change effects in the music as she was playing and they had control. And that's actually interesting as this thing of the a non-passive audience in a music space and what that does mean for attention of people in that space, considering more and more it's getting difficult for people to sit and watch shows and there's less interest in that especially if it's a sitting down show if it's like a party or something then people are still using their body and I think there is a bigger push towards wanting to be able to engage differently or use your body in art spaces and in music spaces and things like that but that is quite interesting for the conversation about attention as you mentioned because <laughs> It's taking away from that again, because now your attention is what you're listening to, what you're doing <laughs> yeah. on so many different things. And then that's what's making it exciting. I understand from a performance perspective or someone creating work, how it's quite interesting to bring the audience in to create sort of 
unpredictable things that you don't design and so there's extra yeah. elements in it but i guess what does it do for the people coming in in terms of this i just want to add to, to Edwin's point which is also interesting is that you know it's, it's not so much about being in control of where you're of, of your own attention but it's more about being aware of it if is it coming from outside is it coming from inside and i think as a uh, somebody who struggled with with paying attention. I, I had a, a phase in life where I was really trying to control my attention, and it actually resulted in the opposite. It's the more I tried to control it, the more I, I lost it in a way, and um, the more I, I, I learned to let it go, which is also a big part of, of you know practicing meditation is just observing without judging. The more I learned to let it go, the more it came to me. The more um, the more I was present with where my attention is, and this. This awareness and asking yourself the question, where is my attention now? I think that's the, the fundamental point uh, where you become an active participant or you become a present participant in paying attention to the world. And it could be an artwork that you're perceiving. It could be an artwork that you're making. It could be a relationship. It could be a conversation. You know, it's all about, in the end, it's all about what kind of attention are you paying to that? And are you doing that in a conscious or an unconscious way? And yeah. yeah, actually, that's fair because I do think mm. that if you're moving in a space, maybe it is more conscious attention because you're giving it a bit more because you know that maybe you can influence it a little bit. Yeah, but, but I think maybe it's also about discovering uh, new forms of attention. I think that that would yeah. be uh, the the coolest direction <laughs> <laughs> that you think, okay, but now I, I know what kind of forms of attention I can pay uh, and that you figure out that you can, by yeah, focusing on certain things, discover new things. And that's mm. so, and well, I, I don't know if it's a new form of attention, but at least paying attention to things that you didn't pay attention to yeah, yeah, yeah. before. And yeah. that, that is, of course, super interesting. Yeah, And, and all these things I... I also very, very important in, in making an artwork or a musical composition because you have to help the audience a bit and you have to steer the audience and there has to be freedom for them too. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the balance of what, yeah, what, um, what hints do you give? Uh, what do they have to discover by themselves? And how do you yeah, bring them into it? And that's, of course, also the, the ritual part uh, is a very important aspect. Again, also in, in the whole uh, discussion, whether, for example, and it's, my work is in between performance and, and the installation format. But the installation format, if the installation, for example, would always be on, always be continuously running, and, and we know the problem clearly from seeing, for example, videos in a museum context where you walk into the room and think, oh, shit, where, where, where are we? Are we in the middle, <laughs> the beginning, the end? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the whole ritual creates also expectation. Yeah? Expectation it creates commitment. Uh, and also expectation and commitment are related to, to attention. And it helps to, to steer and structure uh, where the attention might go and might not go. But full control is never there. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. I think it's a great point that you made also that there's a depth to our sensorial experience, which we can only reach when we pay very close attention. Like when we listen very carefully or when we feel, you know, with great awareness, how do, how do the sensations in my hand feel right now? So 
like sensorial perception is what it's all about, right? Like as an artist or at least as experiential artist, I guess all artists are essentially stimulating the senses. We're stimulating the senses of our audience. And if we want to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, it, it, it often helps deeply for the uh, audience to be very perceptive and to feel what they are, what they're feeling, what they're perceiving and what their senses are telling them. And it's interesting, like, when you start paying closer attention to your perception, you'd start noticing things which you've never noticed before. It's like like listening to a song for the hundredth time, but then all of a sudden hearing a sound, which is in the background, very <laughs> subtle, but you've never heard that, that sound before. And even though you listen to it hundreds of times, and it all has to do with how the brain processes information because you know, our brains are have evolved to be as efficient as possible. And it appears that it's, it's more efficient to have our expectations overlaid on top of reality mm. to see what matches. So, so previous experience helps us perceive the world by kind of mapping the world in a way that is familiar. But this is a, it's a, it's a lazy way of perceiving, right? It's the, it's the efficient way, you could, you could call it. But when you start paying closer attention, you, you can kind of override the, the efficiency of your brain, or at least the laziness, and you can start seeing things or perceiving things which don't match your previous experiences. They have no, you have no risk history of it, but they're there. And that's what happens when you, when you hear this sound all of a sudden in a song, which you've never heard, even though you listen to it a hundred times. <laughs> you know, if you live in a city, you might have cycled past the building a hundred times, and all of a sudden you notice a tiny little detail on that building that you've never noticed before. And it's, for me, it's all about like, yeah, creating the chances for people to, to perceive that. Edwin, I was wondering, is there an installation you've experienced by someone else that maybe guided your attention in a way that was interesting to you, based on what you were talking about before, like finding the balance and so installation or performance? Or... That guided my attention? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, something very interesting. I don't know. It's not necessarily about attention. But, but uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, not primarily. But, for example... When I heard it the, the first time, it really fascinated me very much, is how Marianne Emerger developed what she calls the ear tones. And the ear tones are, you have to play sounds very loud, but you always work with combinations of at least two frequencies. Works best in the mid-range, so it's also <laughs> quite uh, piercing for the, for the ear. But it works with the distortion of the ear. Uh, meaning you have two frequencies, and the distortion of the ear, when you get very loud, is very similar to, let's say, what a guitar pedal would do. And so if you press the distortion pedal of a guitar, you get uh, new frequencies that are actually frequencies that were not present in the original signal. Yeah, And that happens with the in-ear tones, but it happens because of the distortions that happen in your ear. Mm. Yeah, And your ears are always distorting. So, uh, so we can also actually, by, by, by paying attention to it, we can actually figure out a lot of things that, that, that happen in our ears that normally we would not pay attention to. Yeah? But what happens with the in-ear tones of Marianne Emerger is that these new frequencies that are being produced, and they are, for example, the sum or the difference of the two frequencies that are, that are being played, you really perceive them as originating from your ear. And that is something very strange. Yeah, because so we we hear the original sound, we perceive it as being outside of us, yeah. but the newly generated frequencies, as a result of the distortion, they are 
inside of you. Yeah, and this is very very special because you have never had such an experience. So all of a sudden you hear something it's like, "I know, but it cannot be true." <laughs> yeah, but but it is true. Yeah, but it cannot be true. <laughs> yeah, and these are of course very interesting situations to be placed in, to yeah have have an experience like that where your your body is in a way being played and. I think it's something very beautiful. I mean, you have to be careful with it because you, you can definitely also, with too much loud sound, damage your ears. But to to have such an experience, yeah. So some people would run away when when something like this happens. Wait a moment, but this, I don't want this. Yeah, but it's super beautiful to let it happen, and and let it go and see where it brings you. Wow, <laughs> sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, sounds very interesting. I would love to experience this. <laughs> yeah. But it's, there's a lot to say about the unexpected, right? Like it's something you've never experienced before. So you, your mind doesn't have a frame of reference yet to put it, you know, to categorize your experience. When when that happens, or at least I think when that happened to you, it also tends to open up our perception again. Because it, it, you know, we switch from the lazy state, uh, you know, using our expectations to map reality to all of a sudden needing to reframe ourselves because we, we're hearing something or experiencing something we've never experienced before, something unexpected. And after that happens, it, it all, to me, it always feels like that it happens with art often. It, you know, when it breaks your expectations that after such an experience, I'm all of a sudden I'm so much more open to perceptual experience. It's like, you know, my, my, my brain woke, woke up from the, 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 the lazy state, and now all of a sudden, like, okay, I gotta be, pay close attention because there's all these things happening which I've never experienced before, and I need to pay attention to them. Yeah. yeah. Even when you just like leave a really nice museum or so, if they have a nice exhibit, then the whole world suddenly is a bit more colorful mm -hmm. <laughs> with this, and it's like, oh, they made art of this and this, and the sun is shining. The sun is not shining, it's not going to happen, but the sun is shining. <laughs> it's all, yeah. Do you have an installation that maybe, or not installation necessarily, but do you have a piece of art or a person who inspired you when you were studying? Uh, there is a work of which I actually don't know who the artist is, but it's a, it's a work in Tilburg. And it's a, a house, like a life-sized house, like in the shape of a, of a house as you would draw it as a kid, you know, <laughs> square box and a triangular roof. And the house is located in the middle of a uh, roundabout, a big roundabout <laughs> in Tilburg, which is already weird, right? Yeah. That, that already, <laughs> already messes weird. with your expectations because houses are never in the middle of roundabouts. So you see the, the house in the middle of the roundabout when you cycle up to it or, or drive to it by, by car, I guess. And, you know, first of all, you see the house in the roundabout. So you're like, okay, why <laughs> is there a house in the middle of the roundabout? That's weird. That doesn't make any sense. Or your brain's already trying to compute something it doesn't know. But then as you cycle past it, the house is also moving very, very slowly. So it's on a rail, a circular rail, and it's moving in 360 <laughs> degrees around the roundabout. It's all the time. Yeah, but it's moving in such a slow speed that you have to pay close attention to notice it. If you don't stand still or if you're going fast, you're not going to notice that it's moving. So what it did to me, like first of all, you know, like I said, the the house being in, in the roundabout broke my expectations, maybe more aware. But then seeing that it was moving, I was like questioning my expectation because houses never move. 
houses are always stationary in one location, especially when they're this big. So I was like checking if I was seeing it right, you know, like, <laughs> am I, is this house really moving or am I just like hallucinating? Um, and for me, that's a work that really triggered that, uh, that awareness, you know, being more present and, and, and kind of questioning your perceptions a bit more. Yeah. And when was the first time you saw this? Um, the first time I saw this was like, I think like two years ago, two years ago. Yeah, going to a festival in Tilburg, uh, <laughs> Draimode Festival. Yeah. Draimode is also a funny name because the thing was also like a Draimode. It was going around in circles. <laughs> I think maybe I need to make a trip to Tilburg. Yeah, but now I already ruined it for you <laughs> because you know what to expect. So I'm very sorry. What I if I never... go there and it's not moving? Then it'll all be switched around again. True, 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 <laughs> true. Yeah, but, but this, I mean, it says everything about expectations, right? If we don't uh, know what to expect, we can be surprised. And when we're surprised, we... We wake up. And you both have been working together a bit now, right? This is what, what I hear. But we're starting our collaboration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you think this is going to go? What are you expecting or not expecting? <laughs> well, for me, as a, as a fresh graduate, I personally am looking for some mentorship. And it would be so interesting to, to learn from Edwin and his you know, life's experience making interactive works and multimedia works. So the, the reason I, uh, I asked Edwin to, to come and collaborate on this residency was for him to, to be there a few times and provide his, his perspective and feedback on the work. But we've, I mean, we haven't talked about it that much yet. We haven't had our first meeting yet physically. So uh, I'm also curious what Edwin uh, thinks uh, of our collaboration coming up. <laughs> Well, 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 we, you moved our previous meeting to online. It wasn't me. True, true, <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see the real work. Definitely, I think the main thing, main role, is to to show you different perspectives to it, um, and uh, and that also happened in the previous conversation that we had. I said, wait a moment, but maybe you are not seeing these aspects of these aspects that we were simply speaking about how to so life control, but what kind of interfaces to mm. use. Yeah. And uh, and sometimes I was joking, sometimes I was ser serious. <laughs> Something that I, that I more often uh, have a habit of doing to make it a bit unclear what is <laughs> what is serious and what is not. Uh, <laughs> because I think it's very interesting. No, but I think it's very interesting to to not know. Because it also helps you to to explore certain territories that uh, that you would otherwise not access, and so sometimes it's fine not to know, just to see what happens. Because maybe, yeah, maybe something first is a joke, but later becomes very real. Yeah. And so so joking is is also a way of of finding, depending on how you do it, uh, but to find new solid ground under your feet that you would otherwise not have reached. Um, but I think something very important is always the, the, the physicality. Yeah? And what we, for example, were speaking about, something super obvious, uh, in my opinion, but something we, we forget all the time, is how indirect a touchscreen is. Yeah? Meaning the, the screen on your phone or a tablet or anything else. Because, speaking about attention, yeah, it needs your eyes all the time to see if you're in the right place, if you do the right thing. So it is actually an attention sucker yeah. uh, and taking you out of the space that you're in. Yeah, so 
simply, for example, as opposed to using a touchscreen, using a joystick control some, to control something, you don't have to look at it. And yeah. you just learn uh, with your body and with, with your proprioception how to, how to use it and control it. And your attention can again be in the space and with, for example, in Jeroen's case, with the work, instead of, uh, oh, I have to control something. Uh, wait a moment, but <laughs> my attention <laughs> is now, uh, has disappeared in the, in the screen. And it's also there, yeah, and it's and it's very interesting that the work is about attention. But it's there's so many things also in how we control it and how we. Yeah, so the the term embodiment is is so important here to learn and to embody the the things around you. For example, to control to, yeah, and that's of course what musical instruments also always need to have that you can play them without your eyes, without yeah, that it yeah. really becomes part of your body and that it becomes, in that sense, really an extension of your body. So topics like that are interesting, but really the real thing is is how to compose. But, but I'm very curious about what is the language that really fits the elements of the work. Yeah? Because also you can impose something on the work. But yeah, the question that um, that I learned from Horst Rickles is uh, he was always asking, yeah, but wait a moment, what does the work want? Yeah, and mm -hmm. what so what does in your case what do the, the, the elements that you have built and the setup that you have created, yeah, what what does it want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 and and what I'm very interested in is always uh, compositionally to to use the the minimum needed and to really see with just a couple of things what can you do with it and what can you develop with it instead of uh, combining too many different approaches with each other. Yeah, so. I think the, these are topics we'll be uh, be speaking about, but uh, we, we'll find out. <laughs> it would have been so nice to have you as my teacher, also. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All useful things. Yeah, things. I mean, I think we, we we will have a very good match and and a lot of interesting things to to talk about. But I also sometimes notice that people sometimes don't want to go there. Yeah, that that even even asking super simple questions is sometimes a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. To, like, but what's really going on? And of course, I mean, it's very much depends because also. A lot of makers, a lot of artists, they have more a vision of what they want to achieve instead of thinking about uh, what they use is yeah. is the right thing or or what they use what what it wants. And it's of course it's always a dialogue between the two, and thereby also yeah, by learning what what it really is what you're using, it can bring you so much further than thinking. No, but I need to realize this end goal. Uh, but but forgetting all the steps yeah. <laughs> in between. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to go really well based on this conversation. Not that I have any authority on this, but I hope it does. And I'm excited to see how it finishes. So am I. What are you most looking forward to in life, in this work, in anything? But what are you most looking forward to? Um, well, I'll start small like with this work. I'm I'm looking forward to... You know, sharing my my message and uh, I hope the meaning of my work with the world. I'm looking forward to you know engaging in conversations about the topic because I I really feel that that it may be the one of the most important topics of the 21st century. If we if we would learn to appreciate our attention as as one of the most valuable things we have, it might help us face the the problems that we're facing today. And I'm looking forward to to growing as an artist, to to you know maturing and, and learning from from people like Edwin who who've already had so much experience. And I mean, it's also about you know making making the mistakes, you know, making many many mistakes on the way, 
Um, I feel very fortunate to have to have been given this opportunity to to work here and uh, work with Edwin. And um, yeah, in the long term, I'm I'm looking forward to keep on practicing meditation to um, hopefully you know strengthen my own capacity to perceive and to attend to the world in a way that hopefully benefits others. I mean, that's I think the core goal essentially and the ultimate goal. So yeah, looking forward to developing all those those goals. Coming month already. (laughs) (laughs) And what are you looking forward to, Edwin? You mean in in the collaboration, yeah? In general. Oh, in general, yeah. Uh, I... What do I look forward to? Many, many things, but uh, (laughs) no, I mean, what I I notice very much, also because of hopefully being... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, being able to leave COVID behind us, which I am slightly more positive about seeing the numbers go down again, the way I thought, oh shit, we might be in lockdown again (laughs) in November or December. But uh, that seems under control for the moment a bit. But I've been working on quite some some new works and it's still what I see very much is people are asking me to, to present existing works instead of Go making the next step and say, okay, it's time again to uh, to do residencies, uh, make next steps. I've been using the, the the COVID period very much to do experiments, try things out. There's a lot of new stuff to that that says ready to uh, to go into the world. Not fully finished, but a lot of experiments I've been doing that that should go there, and that uh, that I'm most looking forward to. And I'm seeing this finally start again a little bit because it's it's great. I'm always happy if existing work uh, is being exhibited, and, and this this is absolutely ongoing and and positive. But it's time for new things, experimentation, and, and bring especially bring these experiments uh, into the world. Very exciting, very nice. Do you have any questions for each other by any chance? Yeah, well, if I have a, I have a funny question to you. I think you are also already ready for a, a next question. <laughs> yeah, because I think you said two things about attention. Yeah, so that is, and, and even saying it's the next big thing for the, <laughs> for let's say the, this century. But I think the, the the most important thing is also that there are moments where we don't have to be busy with our attention. Uh, and of course, I mean, and, and we have all these discussions now saying that also with all the streaming platforms, et cetera, yeah, saying it's a fight for attention between <laughs> Netflix and, and Disney and whatever, Spotify and true, because of course we use a lot of digital media and, and things that come to us in, in that context. I think attention is a super, super interesting topic. And you said two things. Uh, one thing is that learning to control your attention, but then you also said the opposite. You said, no, no, being aware of your attention, which is different from the control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would also be, I think, it's, and I think uh, being aware can also be in hindsight sometimes. Yeah. So it's not, I think the awareness is not always at the moment itself. Yeah. yeah it's also sometimes afterwards that you yeah. become aware, shit, my attention was there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that that is, an important addition, but I would also say that I I am very happy to sometimes give my attention. Yeah, meaning not have to bite in the tail of the attention. Just yeah. say I give my attention. Yeah. I'm not going to focus on my attention. Yeah, and for me, it's really a balance about the two. Yeah, Be, being very conscious about attention at certain moments, but also sometimes the opposite, saying I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm curious uh, how you see that. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I do agree that 
you know, the more I've, I've studied the topic and the more also like from personal experience, I've been trying out different approaches, one of them being, you know, trying to be fully aware at every single moment. Yeah. But I've, what I've learned is that it's simply not possible. It's, it's truly, no, no, it's no. impossible to. <laughs> it's always focused. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to me, it's, it's kind of like gravity, right? Gravity will pour our attention to the, the giving state or the, maybe the not being so present with it and, and the automatic state of paying attention. So, you know, just doing as your attention wants and watching Netflix, looking at Instagram, using your, your phone without being very present with it. Uh, for me, that's almost like the default state of, of the mind. But then trying to, you know, become more present with what you're doing is like fighting gravity. So if the moment you stop fighting gravity, you will always revert again back to the more default state. So there's no, for me, there's no, no worry to, to, to miss that because I'd also agree that it's valuable to lose our attention or give our attention or to be distracted because there are moments in my life that, which have been very defining um, where I wasn't able to pay attention or was very distracted, but it did bring me to places where that I didn't expect, right? So yeah. this letting go as well, letting yourself be distracted from, from moment to moment, there's extreme value in that too, because it will allow you to, to go to places which you, which you couldn't have directed yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like I... I, I yeah, I'm very curious also with your work, uh, if if there's a moment where, so the, the way you described the beginning, it's very clear about uh, the question, the attention, and position in space, uh, in light, in sound. But at a certain moment, you, you, as you already described, you have to let things go. Yeah. In this, uh, yeah, and will. Yeah. Uh, but it might bring you to another way again of focusing. Yeah. yeah? Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, and that's that's very interesting, but. Oh yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'm but, very very curious. But it's all about losing it and finding it back again, and then losing yeah. it and finding it back again. Yeah, and and hopefully having that happen without to to being too judgmental about it, just letting yeah. it happen. Yeah, yeah. That's the in in a way that's the the trick of of being conscious is and it's not judging what you're doing and just perceiving what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No. So there's there's really flow. I think is an important. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's so a flow. It's, yeah. So it's yeah. flow of attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a flow. Indeed. Yeah. Do you have any questions, Jeroen? Well, for me, of course, I'm I'm getting to know Edwin uh, slowly, but I would like to know what got you into making art in the first place. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think mix of being. Also, already relatively young, focusing on on perception, perceiving, and and trying to yeah understand what's going on, or yeah, and 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 all, with all the contradictions, and uh, so this is one aspect. I've always had maybe maybe even less now, but quite a technical interest at the same time. Yeah, so this contradiction of what yeah what can technology do there, what can it not do, and I've learned at a young age also my father being an engineer for radio. So he was working really for the radio, but not for radio programs. But he was working for radio when radio was still in development. Yeah? So when radio went from mono to stereo, when you got the radio data system, RDS, where you could still, you could, the radio could be identified so that your radio would know, okay, this is this and this station, this is this and this station, stuff like that. And so I was also on the young age, I wanted to build things myself. So I wanted to be in control. 
but then yeah really see what happens uh, and and do strange things yeah yeah <laughs> and so with a focus on sound focus on music i i went to study so straight after high school i i had a very simple question for myself that was not so original but but was well original in the context i was in is really to think about is it possible to make a musical composition primarily based on sound on let's say the temporal textual qualities of sound as opposed to using melody harmony and 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 rhythm as primary aspects or primary components yeah so you started from sound that's what was yeah. your your first interest yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. so yeah. i went i went to and then i went to study in utrecht the HKU was under formation at that moment. <laughs> yeah, so I studied music technology, but there was not not in Utrecht this faculty of KMT, Kunstmedia Technologie, so Art Media Technology didn't exist yet as a, as a separate faculty. So it was still really a collaboration with the conservatory in Utrecht, and I had uh, also really lessons at the conservatory. But what I was learning there, I had already done so much myself. Uh, making software, building things. I thought, mm, mm, I don't learn so much here. <laughs> I want to learn more about the... So there was not much focus about on the artistic. And sure, there was a lot of focus on the technology, not on the creation of technology, but on the use of the technology. And I was much more interested in creating uh, and seeing what would happen and the artistic. Then I switched to, to The Hague, where I went to the Synology full-time program that had just started, but I, I started there in the second year, so I, I that started a year ago, but I then, uh, when I went to study, I didn't know it existed. So what, I had what been, year was this? What year was so this? I started, uh, so 88, I did Utrecht, 89, oh, yeah. Yeah. I entered the second year of the Synology program, yeah. and that's really the first year that this full-time full program existed. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, Synology as an institute has a much longer history, originating from, actually, electronic music studios of Philips, and then going to the... University of Utrecht, and then in uh, 86, Synology moved to The Hague, but the full-time program started in 88, which I then joined in 89. So I'm the, together with Jacques Reus, that I haven't seen afterwards, I, we, together we are the, the first graduates of the Synology full-time program. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was super interesting. I learned a lot there, but I learned a hell of a lot afterwards. <laughs> so there, let's say the, the focus was very much within the program on electronic music, but really also on sound generation, sound processing, doing things. I learned a lot from Peter Pabon there, but also from Paul Berg, other, other teachers. So it was really a fantastic context for me. But the ins installation component, it became bigger later. Yeah, So it's now the whole sound art and, and, and let's say space, sound and space component is much more present in the mm -hmm. Synology program than it was at that time. So I, I had to learn a lot afterwards, or not, I didn't have to, but I, I, yeah, just being curious, being in other contexts. And already in 90, so I graduated there in 92. In 95, I was asked to start teaching in what then was called the Interfaculteit Beelder Geluid, that later developed itself into the art science uh, interfaculty, mm. focusing on more on interdisciplinary art. And so also, well, I mean, Eng uh, engaging with that really also has been, I mean, sure, I've been giving a lot of things there, but also uh, engaging with that program really has brought me also a lot of things. Yeah, it sounds like you were really there at the the root of, of new media art in the yeah, Netherlands. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I mean, there were things happening before. So there is an older generation. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting because that older generation, I I only discovered that a little bit later again. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's so in, in 94, for example, I was, it was very interesting. It was, it was in Paris. There was an exhibition festival called uh, Voyage Virtuel, so the virtual travel. And there, the media art, I mean, there are, there is an older generation, but more the pre-internet generation or really the internet idealists, much more much more connected to a hippie generation, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, and well, I mean, and hippie is, is a too, too specific word for that. So it's yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think it's really, there's two different generations there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much again to both of you for joining me today. I think it was a really nice conversation. And as always with all the podcast episodes, I really have to go back and, you know, debrief and add some new things into my life and weekly rituals, (laughs) more things to keep in mind every time. So that's really nice. I hope it was nice for you as well. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you as well. It was uh, interesting to explore this topic in a, in conversation with you too. Yeah, I didn't know I was setting up your first actual meeting, so that's nice as well. Well, we've met before or, physically, okay. <laughs> but uh, our work together, I, I would say, really starts uh, starts this week. Yeah. Okay. If listeners want to find you and follow your work, where can they go? For me, they can go to jeroenalexandermeyer.com uh, and my Instagram is at Alexander. M- Meyer and uh, well you can find most of my contact details there as well okay and for you Edwin I would say type my name in the in the search engine you'll find my website <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes. smart yeah perfect and for everyone listening uh, Jeroen's work will be on display here at Instrument Inventors Initiative on the 26th of this month indeed on Saturday the 26th uh, starting I believe well at the beginning of the evening Okay, nice. There will be a link in the description. Uh, so make sure you come there and really see this uh, gigantic creation <laughs> for yourself. Thank you so much. And we'll see you again next time. Well, not you, but hopefully them. And maybe you <laughs> as a listener. We'll see. Thank you. A last big thank you to Jeroen and Edwin for taking the time to talk to me and to you for listening to our podcast. Make sure to check out Jeroen's event this Saturday and follow us so you can be the first to know when our next episode comes out. This is the last episode of season two, but we will be back again next March with a new group of residents and more. Hope you're having a good day and of course, make sure you take some time soon to pay attention to your attention. Where is it now?